Daily Gazette Company presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Sports Editor, Ken Shot. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you as we get set for Father's Day weekend. Uh, some golf action. We'll talk with uh, Blaine McAllister, who is hosting the second annual charity Skins Game Tournament on June 20th. That's next Tuesday at Mohawk Golf Club. We'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to him about uh, some golf news, especially with the uh, recent announcement of the PGA Tour and the Live Tour uh, merging, and which was announced last Tuesday. And uh, he'll have some interesting things to say about that. And then I spoke with uh, Colgate men's hockey coach Mike Carter. He's uh, new on the job. He took over for the retiring Don Vaughn. I'll speak with Harder about uh, taking over as uh, Colgate's men's ho- hockey head coach. Of course, he's a former Colgate player, the team's all-time leading scorer. So when we come back, Blaine McAllister joins me to talk about the uh, second annual Charity Skins Game Golf Tournament. We'll also talk about, uh, as we said, the Live Golf Tournament and PGA uh, merging. And we'll have a preview of the U.S. Open. You're listening to the Party Shots Podcast. Meet Andrew Waite. He's a dedicated journalist with a passion for research and a commitment to getting all sides of the story. Whether it's a local issue or an upstate trend, I do the stories and interviews that shed light on what's important to you. Stay informed. Read Andrew Waite in the Daily Gazette. It's my job to offer commentary about what's happening in our community and what it means to our readers. The Gazette, reporting based on accuracy and integrity. It's who we are. It's what we do. Take the Daily Gazette, the local voice of the Capital Region, along with you wherever you go. Want to win an Apple iPad? Download the app at either the Apple App Store or Google Play and enter the contest inside the app to win. Don't wait. The contest ends July 31st at midnight. The winner will be notified by the email used to enter the contest. Good luck. Hi, this is Union Men's Hockey alum Tyler Hines. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Shop. The second annual Charity Skins Game Tournament to benefit the Boys and Girls Clubs of Schenectady will be held at Mohawk Golf Club on June 20th. That's next Tuesday. Rocco Mediate, Billy Andre, Tim Heron, and Chris DeMarco will join host Blaine McAllister. And Blaine joins us uh, on the show. And Blaine, welcome to the podcast, and it's an honor to talk to you. Well, thank you again. Looking forward to visiting with you, and uh, appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, let's talk about this tournament. This is the second time you've been up or coming up to host this tournament. What's it like? Well, it, you know, I've been coming up into the Albany uh, area for the last twenty-five years, doing some charity work, and uh, we did a several skins game there for a long time for the Ellis Hospital, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just got a, a call from. Uh, from a young man by the name of Joel Slusky, who uh, and of course the owner of the Mohawk Golf Club, Mike Rutherford, uh, with Homestead Funding, and he said, "What would be the uh, what would be the opportunity if we could bring a skins game to Mohawk and uh, and raise money for the Boys and Girls Club?" And I said, "Well, that got me in. Let's see what we got to do." And so last year, obviously, we had a great success. I think we raised close to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and and I think this year we're going to probably equal that or get close to it. And uh, I've got four great guys coming in to join me, and 
I'm looking forward to a great day. I mean, I don't know what the weather forecast looks like, but it looked like it might have some rain, I think. But, uh, hey, we'll still put on a show, and those guys will be wonderful to be around with. Yeah, one of, one of these kind of events, like, obviously, it's, there's no pressure involved. I mean, you guys can joke around as opposed to what it's like, you know, playing on the tour. Uh, how, how much of a relax, relaxing event is this? Well, I call it a little hit-and-giggle type atmosphere. Um <laughs> It's it's four guys that you know we've played our entire career together. Uh, we've known I've known Rocco since the early early years of tour. I mean, I in fact we were neighbors down here in Ponte Vedra for a long time, and uh, you know he's been a great friend of mine. And Billy Andre is just you know a Northeast fellow. In fact, I think I played in his first professional. He played in, my, in the first professional event as an amateur up there at the Bank of Boston Classic where I won. And I got paired with him. He was an amateur. And so I've known Billy a long time. And then, of course, when Tim Heron came along, I tell you what, I took to him real fast. He's He's got such a great attitude. Minnesota boy who just loves life and is so much fun to play golf with and just hilarious. And then, of course, Chris DeMarco, what a record he's got. And, you know, a true, true guy that uh, I can tell you in a pro-am or in, a, in an outing of some sort, he is one guy that you want to have involved. He is all in and, and can't be any nicer. Yeah. But uh, it, it's it's a bunch of guys going to get together and enjoy themselves. Yeah. Are you going to be able to hit some balls too? Right. I'm going to play in the nine-hole pro-am portion in the morning, and then I'm going to basically be walking around with them and, uh, you know, giving them a little grief. And uh, I, I don't need to play with these guys. They're all younger than me. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I've done my time. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just going to go out and have some fun and uh, enjoy it. I don't – I mean, I think I've played eight rounds of golf this year. That's why – that's eight uh, more than I've played. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you and I could be on about the same level. <laughs> but uh, it's it's just it's, – it's, it's to go out there and let people be up close in person. I mean, you're going to be walking with these guys. You're going to be right next to them. And, and the good news about these guys, and one thing about championship players that I can really appreciate, we're very approachable. We're very, we're very approachable guys can ask us questions. We sign autographs. You know, we're going to sit and visit. We're going to talk. We're going to tell you what it is. We're going to tell you all about it. I mean, we've done our deal. We've, you know, we did our tour life. We did our tour time. And this is time to, you know, to enjoy the after parts of uh, what the experience of being on PGA Tour was. And we're getting to, uh, you know, enjoy the, the atmosphere of the Champions Tour. Yeah, I was going to ask you about you know, being able to interact with fans. That seems like it's a, it's a fun thing for them. And like you said, they get to take pictures, autographs. They get to ask questions. And I mean, because I mean, you figure the fans make this happen because you, you, I mean, you see the galleries that um, the other tours, especially the majors, and you, you don't see much interaction there. But to see that at an event like this, I think that's great. Well, that's one thing you can say about a Champions Tour event. You can have a lot of interaction. You have a lot of fans that are able to get close to these players. And I, like I said, we have done our time. And uh, this is our give-back time. This is our appreciative of what we've gotten to do in our lives on the PGA Tour. And here is a bonus you get to keep playing as you turn after 50. Give me a break. This is <laughs> this, this is like adding a, an icing on the top of a cake that you really enjoy. But uh, this is this is uh, something I really appreciate about the, the professionals on the Champions Tour is their approachability and their giving back system. You know, they're really all about giving back and, and enjoying themselves. What was life like on the tour for you when you were in the PGA? I mean, I mean, the travel had to be hard, and uh, the pressures of you know, you know, four rounds. And what was it, what was it like? Was it fun? It, it was. It was a lot of fun, but it was a job. I mean, you know, we didn't play for a lot of money back in the day, and so 
you 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 took it seriously as far as your job was concerned, but at the same time, you had your friend, you enjoyed playing your practice rounds, you enjoyed going to dinner, but, you know, come Sunday after the final round, we all left. We all went, you know, different directions. I mean, uh, it was kind of like a traveling circus. And then all of a sudden, we show back up on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or whenever, and here we go again. But, you know, we didn't have the private jet type system uh, of the old days or in the old days. We all went to the airport. We met each other at the airport. We all got on different planes and flew different directions. But, uh, it was a crime, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I got to play it against the best of the best. And that's what I consider I was very fortunate in my career to get to play against Nicholas and Watson and, you know, Norman and Kite and Crenshaw and, you know, the legends of the game. And uh, that to me is something I'll always cherish and experience in my lifetime that I can say I got to do. And the game has changed, I can tell you that. Well, that leads, me, mean, to, that leads me to my next question. Obviously, over the past year, we've had a, a basically a war between the PGA and the Live Golf Tour, and you know, Jay Monahan, the president of the PGA Tour, well, commissioner, I mean, he was talking about if you, you know, basically you're basically for your persona non grata if you went to the Live Tour, and all of a sudden last Tuesday, there's this announcement that the tournaments are the, the tours are going to merge, and I I think I caught a lot of people off guard. What what did you think of this this whole situation with with the PGA and Live and uh, who won out of this? Well, number one, I've always considered professional golfers independent contractors. You know, we 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 started round zero on January first, and everybody was battling for a top one twenty five position in the, in the finish line. And uh, you know, you you were an independent contractor, and then all of a sudden, the money has grown to be so big, and now all of a sudden, guys got a chance to go get money that they weren't, you know, getting all, I mean, this is appearance money is what I call it and get to play. I mean, we're freelance guys. I mean, do I blame them for going? I can't say I do for number one. I mean, this, this changed their lives. This also gave them the life of being at home and still playing the game of golf and being in the limelight, but at the same time competing. But this, this joint venture that the tour has, has taken on has probably been the most disappointing thing I've ever seen in the history of the game. I, I really, as a PGA, longtime PGA professional, I've never been more disappointed. I've been more, never more been disgusted than I am. And two, I've never seen anything that's been such a joke. I mean, I feel like the players as for the last two or three, two and a half years have been sold a bill of goods. And then they got the rug, like, you know, pulled out from under them and wham, this is handed to them. I, I don't understand the reasoning behind it. But I think I do understand the fact that I believe the tour, as a as a as a uh, you know bona fide, legitimate company, I think they realized that they had no chance to make this survive without joining. Because mm-hmm. number one, they were, they weren't going to run; they were not going to put money with this guy. But what I what I'm really disappointed is they just basically handed him the keys. They here, you now own the golf. I mean, I, I, I know it's going to take a long time to work out. I think there's going to be a lot of issues in the judicial part of it. I think there's going to be some investigations. I think there's going to be some Senate investigations. I really believe that this is long for a long haul could really be something that has to be fought for a while. But I really believe the tour is just at the point where they've run out of money. I mean, they couldn't keep putting the money into the logistics, you know, for the, for the litigation aspect of it. 
And two, they kept raising the prices to try to compete with the live as far as the money that we're putting up. And I just think the tour just dipped into the reserves, and I, I really believe they just ran out of money. And uh, and I and I'm I feel sad. I feel sad for the PGA Tour, all its former members, and all the current members for looking at this and going, "Wow, what just happened?" I mean, we're all floored by it. You know, they can say this is all going to work out, and this, but this guy is now the chairman of golf, is what I consider it. I mean, I did see a man just had a medical situation getting here, and, and uh, he's had to take a step away for a while because something, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but I sure hope it's nothing serious, but I'm sure the stress on this man has been unbelievable Yeah, as far as, as, far as what's going on, and two, Who's to see where this is going to go? I mean, I really don't know. I mean, competition is good in a game of golf. But as you can see, when they got all these players together and these majors, you can see what it's done. There's still another level that we're missing that are playing for another place. And I think the people deserve to, to see the best players in the world compete against each other. And for the last two and a half years, that hasn't happened. And uh, you see what happened with Brooks winning at the PGA and, and Mickelson and all of them getting so close at the Masters. But it's just, it's just, it, 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 there is an ability to have competition. But I think the competition needs to be all in one group. So where this goes from here, I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, of course, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to try to get political, but obviously the, there are political ramifications because the Saudis were involved in forming this live golf. And we, you know, they're just interesting. Uh, you know, they've been accused of murdering a Washington Post reporter, and you know, obviously they're not in, into human rights. Uh, but it seems like, like I said, I, I think they ended up winning this whole thing because they you know, have more money, as you said. I mean, PGA Tour, we basically just you know, ran, out, ran out of cash. And, and that's the sad part about this whole deal. I really believe that when this was announced about three and a half, four years ago, that this possibility could have happened. I do believe the PGA Tour could have sat down as a group met with these guys, say what your intentions are, and how can we make this work? But now it's just basically just like, hey, we can't beat them, so let's join them. And I, I, I really feel bad for the sport. I feel bad as a former player, and I feel bad for the sport of golf, of where this may lead or how it's going to shake down. I can't imagine how the fans feel. I mean, I do know that I've got – Several people that I get tickets for there, or that I know that have got tickets for the players and stuff in the past, or you know, they're they're talking about not even buying their tickets now. Hmm. I mean, that's just that. I mean, there's fans that are going to be very, very disappointed in this, and I think it's going to be a bad, bad track record. Yeah, you may give, think, some of the fans at the uh, outing on Tuesday may be asking about that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we're I'm sure we're going to catch a lot of it. I mean, I hate to see it, but at the same time, you know, we're we're in a different game with our, you know, as our level. But at the same time, you know, we're still a member of the PGA Tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know where it's going to go from here, but I, there's a lot of things that's got to be answered. And I think there's a lot of people out that can't get an answer yet. Yeah. And uh, I think we'll see down the road. But, you know, down the road is, I mean, where we are in June, almost, the, you know, we're getting toward the end of June. And the end of the season comes at the end of 2023. And they're talking about 2024 having a schedule and going what they're going to do. I don't think they do. And so I don't know where this is going to go. Yeah. But 
Well, we'll, we'll find out. We'll, yeah. we'll find out soon enough, but yeah. I hope it's not going to be the disappointing end of what the tour is, what I've known. Yeah. Well, let's uh, wrap this up. Uh, this The U.S. Open starts Thursday out in Los Angeles. Uh, who do you see winning? Well, you know, I can tell you I've played Las, Vegas, uh, Las uh, Angeles Country Club back in the early 80s, and it's obviously a different track now. But when I played it, it was probably one of the hardest golf courses for a private country club I'd ever played in my life. It was so long and so tough. I mean, extremely long, extremely long golf course. But I think they've changed a lot of it. It's going to be playing a lot faster. Uh, I mean, I think they changed the rough into Bermuda rough, whereas before it wasn't that. And two, I think they've uh, they've got some of the hardest par threes you're going to ever play in golf. I mean, I do know I've heard that there's one now. It's like 290-something yards, a par three. Mm-hmm. So I... I look for your guys that are patient, guys that can really stress. I, I can't stress this enough. Guys that can really putt for par. Because you're going to see a lot of par putts that are going to have to be made on these kind of open conditions. And you see a guy like, you know, like a Cam Smith, Cameron Smith, I think will be very tough. I think Brooks Koepka, obviously, his record has proven that he can handle that. Guys that can handle the short putts and, you know, the 8-footers, 7-10-footers for pars that you're going to have to make. And I think, uh, you know, I think Roy has got a chance. I think just a matter of his patience and whether he can handle that. Uh, I, I look for a Xander Shoffley, a Patrick Cantley. I, I, I think the guys that you see regularly in the uh, tough conditions are going to be guys that are going to be there at the top at the end. Well, it'll be a lot of fun watching that. Of course, it'll be a lot of fun watching you and then uh, Rocco Mediate, Billy Andre, Tim Heron, and Chris DeMarco on Tuesday at Mohawk Go- uh, Golf Club for the uh, Charity Skins Game Tournament. Uh, Blaine McAllister, thank you very much for coming on and uh, safe travels up to Schenectady. I appreciate it, Ken. I look forward to seeing you next week. All right. Uh, coming up, I'll speak with new Colgate men's hockey head coach Mike Harder. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hey, Auto Racing fans, the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is back. Here's how to play. Pick the top five finishers in the weekly NASCAR race and get a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the Auto Racing Contest banner. The Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest is run by the advertising department and not affiliated with the sports department. Hi, this is Tri-City Valley Cats General Manager Matt Callahan. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Sports Editor Ken Schott. After 30 years behind the bench, Colgate men's head hockey coach Don Vaughn announced his retirement shortly after this past season ended. His replacement is very familiar to Raiders fans. He is the Raiders' all-time leading scorer with 214 points, compiled between 1993 and 1997. Please welcome to the podcast the new coach of the Colgate men's hockey team, Mike Carter. Mike, uh, welcome to the podcast. Congratulations. And uh, how excited are you to take over the Colgate program, which is the defending ECAC hockey tournament champions? Yeah, th- thanks, Ken. Uh, it's not too often that you can come into a program that just won a championship. I think, you know, maybe Barry Trotz with the Washington Capitals did it a few years ago. Or, or you know, the guy coming in for yeah. Barry. But, um, yeah, it's a unique experience for sure, and I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, you played for Don. You coached under uh-huh. Don for a few years. What was Don Vaughn like uh-huh. as a, as a player? First as a player when he, when he was coaching you and then working with him as a, an assistant. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing but great things to say about Coach Vaughn, obviously. Um, you know, after my 
professional career, you know, I, I liked and respected Don so much. I, I volunteered right away. I, you know, I, I moved right away. Um, you know, and volunteers, you know, it's, it's a tough life. You don't make a ton of money as a volunteer. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the definition of. So, uh, no, I, nothing but great things. He, he was wonderful, um, a mentor throughout the years. And it's interesting when, you know, when he first took the job and I was part of his first recruiting class, I, I think he was 29 years old, which, you know, think about that. It's pretty insane to be, to be running a program. Um, he'd come in in a difficult situation with, you know, a legendary coach. He followed up, Coach Slater, mm-hmm. um, in, in a tragic, you know, tragic moment. Coach Slater passed away, and that was, I'm sure, really hard for Coach Vaughn to come in and for the community to, you know, get their minds around that early. But um, it's hard, and it's, you know, for me, it's hard too. Again, being such a legend, you know, I have enormous shoes to fill, um, and uh, you know. We can talk about this later, but I, you know, coming in with a team that just won a championship, I'm not sure I have to do too many cha- make too many changes, some some tweaks possibly here or there, maybe a little bit of my fingerprints on the program. But um, you know, working with Don, we have such a great tradition and such a great legacy um, that that's that. I plan on having a pretty smooth transition there. Yeah. Now you've been out of coaching for a few years. So you know, what, what's a, what, what have you been have you been doing, and what led you back into coaching with this? Oh God, Ken. So <laughs> I, yeah, I've been out of college coaching. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, what I did is I, I moved to Reno, Nevada, which three years ago was the largest city in America without an ice skating rink, like zero hockey there. Um, you know the greater Reno area has a population of 400, 400 plus thousand. So that's, that was a crazy thing. And, you know, with, with Vegas coming into the NHL, um, you know, and, and it's an outdoorsy town. It's got, you know, Olympic Valley, Squaw Valley is right there now named Palisades. Um, you know, there was a huge gap. So the minute I got there, I got to work on fundraising, building a rink, um, and, and then, you know, helping, you know, a gentleman I met, a Boston guy, he was really good. So I jumped in with him and then we built this amazing program. Um, but again, it was a hockey desert, right? No hockey. So yeah. to say I've been out of coaching, <laughs> you know, I, I've never coached so much in my life, mm-hmm. not just the kids, but coaching the culture. And, you know, we had 48 volunteer coaches that were great, wonderful, but not all of them came from Minnesota or, or Massachusetts. So, you know, hockey was a little foreign to them. So coaching the coaches was a big deal, too. And, um, you know, like I said, we have 500 kids strong now in that program. Um, it's just crazy how, how hockey's taken off in, the, in their greater Reno area. Yeah, I mean, how so, much, how, um, yeah, yeah, yeah how go much, ahead. How much, I'm sorry, how much does that Vegas Golden Knights influence me? I mean, obviously, they come yeah. in and, you know, they have a successful first season, get to the Stanley Cup final. Uh-huh. I mean, that's all of a sudden, the Vegas is a hotbed. Well, as, as we're talking yeah. here, you know, they're a couple of games away from winning the Stanley Cup. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what was interesting, the, the, from the second I landed in Reno, I noticed, you know, Reno's seven, eight hours away from Vegas. It's not exactly close. Um, but everybody had Vegas Golden Knight license plates. You know, there's so many custom plates and um, so many Vegas hoodies and sweatshirts and hats. And, you know, people loved it. So um, it, that helped the program enormously. I mean, our Learn to Play is sponsored by the, by the Knights. It's it, it's great. So huge fans. So that first year really helped. Um, and then the other thing that really helped, it was a, 
it was a forest fire year. The summer was really bad. We opened the rink in the summer and the smoke was so bad, but the one sport you can play that's indoors and where there's no smoke just happened to be hockey. So uh, we had some pretty strong tailwinds uh, and it allowed us to really, really take off as an organization. Yeah. Uh, How would you describe your coaching style? (laughs) Well, you know, I I can say the cliche relationship based and, you know, players coach, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, but I'm, I'm pretty even tempered. You know, I, I won't often raise my voice. Um, I'd like to create a culture of kindness and understanding and having our staff and the players always lead with kindness. Um, you know, but that being said, you know, there's only one puck on the ice and it better be on one of our sticks, not one of their sticks, you know. So um, there's a lot of, uh, you, you know, I, I want to say fun. I try to create a stress-free environment for the guys, but um, the most fun thing about hockey is winning. So, you know, there, there are a few dichotomies in, in that description, I think. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a guy that likes to connect with players and, and like to, and, and I think in that way I can squeeze the most hockey out of them. Um, I'm also not afraid to do things a little bit differently. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about you know, pulling the goalie a lot more. Maybe if we get a five on three, we make it a six on three, uh, put a little extra pressure on the guys, pulling the goalie earlier in games and situations. Um, I think a four on three could be a five on three sometimes too. So, um, yeah, things like that. So, um, I'll be fun, but I'll also, you know, hold our kids accountable. Well, I, mean, I, I know Don Vaughn pulled in the game this season against Union, pulled the goaltender late in the second period. With a face-off in the uh, his in the union zone, and, and, I, and I've all the years I've been around hockey as a fan, as a, as a uh, mm-hmm. reporter, I had never seen what had happened where union ends up mm-hmm. putting a face-off and scoring, mm-hmm. <laughs> seen that goal, and, yeah. and I told the sure. Donnie about that. He goes, "You had to remind me about that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather not talk about that on this podcast. Yeah, no, that's that's not the fun we're looking yeah, for yeah. for sure. So, but you know, sometimes sometimes that happens, and yeah. you know what? If if you look at the bigger picture. Maybe that made them a better team in the long run. You know, maybe that added a little extra pressure on, on the kids and they got to deal with it in, in Lake Placid in a way other teams hadn't. So, yeah. you know, things happen for a reason there. Yeah. Uh, how, I mean, you, you played in the ECAC, you coach in the ECAC hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, what differences have you seen between the time you played in the conference and when you coached in the conference? <laughs> Uh, well, I think it's just true of all hockey from, you know, the 90s hockey through, you know, through I was coaching from 2014 to 19, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, goaltending's quite a bit better. You know, <laughs> the equipment's quite a bit better. Yeah. I'm I'm an older guy, so it's funny. Um, you know, guys come into the rig, funny little side story. So they have, you, you mentioned in the intro that I, I had some points on Colgate. And there's a, there's a stick as a, as a player. There's a stick in the lobby that shows uh, one of my goals that I scored. And Ken, I was just on the cusp of, but it's a wooden stick. It's a wooden Louisville stick, uh-huh. and it makes me feel like I'm 200 years old. Yeah. Like so, so I, there was a kid in the rink the other day, and he was like, uh, "Well, coach, this is your stick." Huh? I'm like, "Oh God, you saw that? Like, I, I, that might be my first move as head coach is to get that stick out of there because it's just." It just makes me feel really old. So back to the question of, you know, as a player, it was much more wide open. Um, you know, we could do things. I think 
now, you know, video is such a huge part. I think, you know, video was just starting to be used a lot in the 90s. But now, there are no secrets. You know, Cornell's going to know what our power play looks like, you know, what our penalty kill looks like. We'll know what theirs looks like. So there's there's some more, you know, strategery there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, to borrow a phrase, so yeah. um, the game is different. You know, they're just, I think teams are better prepared coaching staffs you know there are more guys so there's there's more time to prepare goalies are bigger and better um you know but the, the counterbalance is that that is like you know we're talking about sticks sticks are better guys can get shots off much better they can snap off you know really quick shots they're super hard shots um i think the athletes are a little bit different too the the athletes are bigger stronger faster than, than they were in the 90s so um yeah, it, it, it's just a trend of the game, I would say, it has changed things. What was it like playing at Star Rank? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. I, I just remember my roommates coming to games and being uh, <laughs> really intoxicated and having a super fun time. <laughs> I think maybe uh, <laughs> I think maybe campus safety was a little bit more relaxed back then. I mean, it was the 90s, right? Yeah. Everybody was disaffected and you know <laughs> everybody was was having fun so uh it was it was crazy it was super fun and you know colgate had had some great teams in the 80s and and 90s leading up to my time there too so it, it was it was built up and star rink was a party all the time the, the community was great um it, w- it was super fun. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. Did you ever bowl there? There's <laughs> <laughs> Ron Fogarty. I'm sure you're getting to Ron Fogarty, so I think he would try to bowl before every game. <laughs> yeah, he 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 had some superstition. He, he was full of superstitions, but um, yeah. So he he would bowl. I I didn't. I, I might have thrown a couple balls, but. I wasn't a prisoner to my superstitions quite like that. Yeah, I mean, I, that was one thing when I used to travel with Union. And I would go to Star Rink, and I, 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 did, I actually did it one time. I, I used to bowl a lot, and then I, I did it one time. It's kind of fun that you, you go there and you know, before the game, yeah, let's, let's throw a couple couple of games and then we have some fun. So it's it's a pretty random trivia fact. Like what rank in the ECAC had a bowling alley? Yeah. That's kind of funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the last few years, I mean, uh, between you know, Star and, and uh, you have a new facility there with uh, the mm-hmm. 65 ring. What do you got to get the, the? What do you have to do to get the fans back? It seems like you know, <laughs> games I've watched it really does not. It seems like more the opposing fans are there at the, at the facility. <laughs> what do you got to do to get the the, the mm-hmm. town back excited again? Mm-hmm. Well, if, if, you know, if I had that answer, I would have I would have shared it with with Vonner a long time ago. <laughs> but it's hard, and and and. Coach Von tried, you know, he's tried everything as well. Um, you know, short answer is we're working on it, but I think the longer answer is it's, it seems to be a theme. I think Cornell still does really well. They have a great culture there, but I think it's a theme throughout college hockey, really. Kids are scheduled, overscheduled, you might say, yeah. right? There's just so much going on, and you know, you can also watch the game from your dorm, too, <laughs> really easily, mm-hmm. right? So, um, we're going to try some things. We're going to we're going to try to increase engagement. Um, Colgate's a little bit unique, and it's, there's a pretty strong fraternity Greek system here. So if we can somehow get connected to that without actually having to have our players, you know, a part of the Greek system, um, that would be great. Uh, we're we're going to try some things. I know our, our people are energized to do that here. Yeah. Our marketing department's great, so we're going to try. I think I think winning helps too, right? Um, and coming off last year's great season, uh, you know, we'll do a banner racing our, our first first weekend. 
I think that helps if we can build that momentum. I mean, we still get, you know, the Cornell series is always good for us and a few other things. Um, but also, the timing is important. There are so many school breaks as well or exam periods that sometimes kids just aren't on campus. Yeah. And you know as well as I do, the, the population of Hamilton, New York, is not, you know, it's not a metropolis. So um, it, it, it might seem empty. There, there might be a good portion of the, the Hamilton population at a game. But the building might still seem a little vacant. Um, so, yeah. yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, I'd like to get there one of these days uh, if I ever get a chance. I'd like to, you know, see it with New York and we'll see what it's like. Because, uh, I mean, when I covered Union, yeah, I've covered Union for 27 years. I've had two stints covered. I remember Union going to Star Rink, and it was just it was just a nightmare. I mean, Union made one. <laughs> and I think Union has won more games at, at the class of 65 rink uh, than they did in all the time at Star Rink. And I, re- I remember <laughs> some disastrous games. That, I mean, just like a 9 nothing or 8-1. It was like, it was ugly. Yeah. All those games were ugly. Star was funny too, and that the the way the stands were, it was cement, so the boards were right up against the cement. So you know, today's rinks the boards give, and they're injury you know they're injury friendly that way. Um, but, but in Star Rink, you're basically bouncing up a cement wall oh. everywhere you went. So um, yeah, that wasn't great either. I had to look up. I, I still have all the stats from uh, my years of covering uh, Union Hockey, and uh, I had to go back to uh, when you played. And you played eight games against Union. Uh, you guys went six one to one. You had six goals and uh, six <laughs> assists in those games. You had a couple of two goal games, including a game winning uh, goal. Uh, I think it was your s- senior year. But the one, the, the one loss, you guys went six one to one. I think the, the what the one loss is always memorable. Uh, this happened in the penultimate game of the ninety three ninety four regular season. And it was that uh, then was Achilles Rink, now called Mesa Rink at Achilles mm-hmm. Center. Uh, Ron Fogarty had scored uh, midway through the third period to give you guys a 6-3 lead. And what I remember after seeing Fogarty's goal, I saw some of the fans trying to leave the building. It's like, oh, okay, this is this is not going to be good. And then um, yeah, you're laughing because I think you remember this game now. Before you laugh here, but uh, yeah, Jeff Giampetti scores uh, with 7-17 left to make it 6-4. John Szczynski then scores with 5.02 left to, to make it 6-5. Union pulls their goaltender, and uh, Russ Monti scores with 59 seconds left to tie it. And you're thinking of going overtime, but then uh, with 23 seconds left, Jeff G. and Petty scores the game-winning goal, and Union pulls out a miraculous 7-6 win. What do you remember? Do you remember anything about that night? <laughs> Is this why you brought me on the podcast, Ken, yeah, to talk yeah, about yeah. this? Uh, no, you know what? I, I'm, I'm pretty good with um, having a short memory. It's 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 something uh, golfers have taught me. High level golfers they have the shortest of memories, and uh, much like goalies, they also the best goalies have short memories. So uh, I'm going to choose not to remember that. Although it's pretty hard not to, especially after your detailed account of it. So I remember all those guys. I could probably tell you, you know, I, I can tell you what the goal looked like. I could tell you. Yeah, I could tell you too much about it, but yeah. I'd rather not. Yeah, that was yeah. Union's third year at Division One, and then they, mm-hmm. they this read that before the week before, I believe they clinched uh, their first ever playoff spot. This was back when only ten of the twelve teams went to the uh, ECAC uh, tournament. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I just remember that night, and I I, just, <laughs> I, I wrote my lead. I mean, fans were leaving the rink, and they ended up missing the best part of the game. Yeah, it's a fun thing when 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 fans head for the exits. You wanna. You want to prove them wrong, so yeah. it's great when it happens for sure. And I'm sure that was a great team building experience for 
for the skating Dutchman. Yeah. So uh, yeah, recruiting wise, right now you got to start hitting the road. You have to assemble staff. You know, how soon do you want to get your staff in order and uh, get on get on the road? Yeah, so I'm in, uh, I believe I'm in day four of the job uh, right now, and I would have liked to have uh, the staff hired three days ago, yeah. but we have a <laughs> we have a pretty good beat on it, you know, new head coaches. Um, it's always interesting, right, whether you, if there, if there is a holdover guy, you know, where, how do you decide that? Do you keep them? Do you, do you move on? Um, is it important to have an alum on your staff? You know, what if the head coach already is an alum? There's, there's a lot to consider, and I've had, gone through a lot of permutations and combinations on that um so i'm sorting it out i i'm i'm i think i'm in an okay spot but you know also you know we we open it up for applicants and sometimes you can be surprised with with an application or two so um i'm going through all those this weekend which which is fun um it's kind of exciting actually and it's nice to be a program where you know a good pool of applicants apply that's a good sign it means your program's healthy and and doing well so um it, it's a good problem to have but I, I would like you know ushl camps are going on right now national team stuff is happening soon and, you know colgate doesn't have people hitting the road right now so i'd like to get that solved um as soon as possible well, Mike, appreciate a few minutes chatting with you. Uh, congratulations on getting the job, and uh, whenever the schedule uh, when it comes out, we'll, we'll, still, we'll see you here at uh, Messerinkin Schenectady. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get together and say hello. Oh, great, Ken. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, thanks for this time. If you really want to know what's going on in your community, you have to read the Daily Gazette. We don't take a side. We're right down the middle and we're going to get to the truth. Our reporters and photographers are out in the field bringing you updates every minute with trust, accuracy, and integrity. From the first page to the last page, independent, probing journalism. We're finding out what's going on in the community where nobody else is covering. It's who we are. It's what we do. Take the Daily Gazette, the local voice of the Capital Region, along with you wherever you go. Want to win an Apple iPad? Download the app at either the Apple App Store or Google Play and enter the contest inside the app to win. Don't wait. The contest ends July 31st at midnight. The winner will be notified by the email used to enter the contest. Good luck! Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Chad Arnold. You're listening to the Pardon Shots podcast with Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 16 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest was Lorraine Astemborski of Schenectady with 75 points. That's impressive. Lorraine wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Lorraine. The VIP winners were Dwayne Leach of All Seasons Equipment and me. We each had 30 points. I'll announce the auto racing contest winner's name, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. To play, go to dailygazette.com and click on the auto racing contest banner. There won't be an auto racing contest this weekend because NASCAR is in a bye week. 
Just because COVID-19 mandates are easing, that does not mean you should relax. Be vigilant. If you have not gotten vaccinated or booster shot, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots Podcast. I want to thank Blaine McAllister and Mike Carter for coming on the show. Next week, I'll speak with new ECAC Hockey Commissioner Doug Christensen, a Union College graduate. He played for the Dutchman from 1998 to 2002. I hope you'll join me then. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of the Daily Gazette Company. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of the Daily Gazette Company. I'm Daily Gazette sports editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.